what was on my heart this morning is to go off of who we are and then find out what we have. Not only who we are, but what we have access to. And um, I, I want to share um, a word that's actually been on my heart for several months now. I've been holding it for a little while, and I felt no better time than this to deliver this. And for those that are uh, watching this later, I, I just pray that this is a word in season, no matter when it's watched. But one of my favorite verses in uh, the scriptures is in Romans 8. If God is for us, you can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Remember that? If God did not even withhold his own son, but, but he gave his son to us, if that's the, the, the amount of, that he's willing to give, his firstborn, his begotten son, if that's the amount, how will he not also along with him freely give us everything else underneath that? which involves everything. Jesus is the highest, the pinnacle of what he gave. And so here we sit in the middle of December at the very end of the year at the pinnacle of the giving season. We celebrate the great gift that was given to us in the man, Christ Jesus. No higher gift can be given. None, none other than Jesus Christ. And so if he's willing to give that, how much more will he not give us all things? And so what do we have access to then? If that's who we are, what do we have? And the answer is everything. We have everything. Because I'm a co-heir with Christ Jesus. I'm a son of the living God. So I've got access to the treasure troves of heaven. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the earth and the universe. And so now as an heir, as a son, I've got access to it all. I can literally move heaven and earth by the power of prayer in agreement. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's mind-boggling to think of what we have. And yet our minds can sometimes get so small that in this giving season, we can become greedy. We can become self-focused. And this can happen all year long. And so I want to, the, the word on my heart today is to talk about as we serve a giving God and we're made in his image that we would give a, a radically generous gift to others on a regular basis, that we would be radically, outrageously generous on a regular basis because we're made in his image. If we serve a giving God, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. And so we in his image now, we give. If it says, unto us a child is born, because there had not been a child, the Christ baby yet at this point, but unto us a son was what? Given. Because the son existed from before the beginning of time. He is eternal. So the, the son couldn't be born, the son had to be given. But the child was born in flesh. And so we have this amazing season where we look back and we remember what he did. And so it just lights everything up. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Everybody's hearts are just merry. There's, this, there's typically just generosity in this season. There's like, oh, it's Christmas. And be careful because January 1 is coming, right? And it's like, oh, it's January, you know? But this is to be our attitude all year long. We're giving. We're generous because he's generous, okay? Now, as I say all of this, when a pastor typically preaches on giving your tax-deductible gift at the end of the year, um, sometimes it, it's gotten so twisted and marginalized, and I just want to address the elephant in the room, I don't need a jet, right? 
Um, I've got a transit van outside. It's great. I don't need anything else besides that. Um, look, we have blue carpet in here. You know, we have paneling on the walls. We don't have a big building fund. Um, I, what I'm about to say is not to enrich anything, anyone else except y'all. My goal in this, I, I want you to be radically set free in generosity to live under the blessing I'm going to talk about here in a minute. This has nothing to do with any ministry or any man. This has everything to do with the blessing of the Lord on your life. So I want to address that now, okay? So Jesus has the three big ones, right? The three disciplines for the Christian life are when you give and when you pray and when you fast. It's not if you do those things, but it's when you do those things. Jesus knows we're sheep. He didn't give us a thousand laws to live by. He said, here's three. This is your regular discipline. This is the regular rhythm of the Christian life. Give regularly. Pray regularly. Fast regularly. Not if you feel like it, not if it works in your schedule. You actually embrace the discipline of these three things as a believer and watch it bear fruit in your life. Paul says that I work hard to help the weak around me in Acts chapter 20. I, I'm actually working really hard to help them. Why am I doing that? Paul says, well, I'm doing that because of what Jesus says. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's like, so that's why I'm working hard. Why do I go to work every day? Because it's more blessed to give. I want to live underneath that blessing. Paul calls giving in 1 Corinthians 8 a grace. He, you know, you can excel in that grace. You can get an F in giving or you can get an A plus in giving. How are you doing with giving? Paul says, I want you, Corinthians, to excel in the grace of giving because see, you excel in a lot of other things. Faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and love. That's all great, but I want you also to excel in this grace of generosity and giving. In fact, he says, this is a litmus test for your love. He says, I'm not telling you to give as a command. What I'm doing is I'm testing your sincerity of love. It's a litmus test. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I say I love people, I have God's heart for them, and Paul says, the proof's in the pudding. Show me your checkbook. Show me your, what are you doing with your resource that the Lord's given you? Prove it, show it. Put your money where your mouth is. He gives this strong encouragement. Go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter nine. This is just a, a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful passage. Sorry, 2 second, uh, second Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Strong encouragement to radical generosity. And you guys know this, this is familiar to you. Remember this. He's, he's about to tell you, I want you all to scale up. I want you to think on a bigger scale. I want you to move up here. Whoever sows sparingly would also sparingly reap, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Here's the wrong way to do it, reluctantly, under compulsion. Don't do it that way. But God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then he quotes Psalms 112, the giving chapter, and he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. 
And then he goes on to this amazing part of this passage. And he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every single occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is incredible to me. The Lord's actually, as made in his image, we're givers. The Lord's like, I'm gonna supply your seed for giving more so that you can get more back, so that you can give more. And it's this give and take in the kingdom of God. It's, it's incredible. Examples abound in scripture as to the power of giving and receiving. This is where the prosperity gospel has it about 90% right. The, the prosperity preachers on TV, it's not all lies. See, Satan comes as an angel of light. There's a lot of truth in what they're saying because they're like, plant a seed today. Send me $1,000 and watch the Lord multiply it back in your life. Well, it's part true. If you plant a seed of $1,000 done in the right heart, the Lord will multiply it back in your life. But not that guy's new jet. Or, or his fifth condo, right? That's, that's not what the scripture's talking about here. But seed planting is in the scripture. I take one apple seed and I put it in the ground and for the next 50 years, how many apples do I get off of that? A bunch, a whole bunch. It's not, it's not one to one. It's one to a multiple of 10, right? You've got the example of you giving up father and mother or a house for the sake of the gospel, how many more times do you get back in this age, everybody? 100. 100-fold as many times. Father, mothers, brothers, sisters, and houses and lands in this age and in the age to come, eternal life, along with tribulations in this age. It's crazy. It's not one for one. Think with me, if you would, uh, remember in the feeding of the 5,000, 15 to 20,000 men, women, and children there. And the Lord sends the disciples out to feed them. He sends the little loaves and the fishes, and they send them out, 12 disciples. And how many heaping basketfuls are left over? One apiece. Why? Because the work, worker is worthy of his wages. So see, the disciples gave away and they got a whole basketful back per. The Lord is speaking to us in those numbers there. 12 heaping basketfuls as they gave away, it came right back to them. So I, the reason I'm saying this is I want you to be excited in this season. I want you to be filled with joy and blessing at the prospect of what you have access to. How much do you have in Christ Jesus? Everything. How much can you give away? everything. And in that, there is this blessing. So go with me to uh, Luke chapter 6. Take a left from, from there. I love this. This really, really jumped off the page here just the other day. I was reading it again. Luke 6, 38. He says, give. Here's a commandment. Give, Jesus said this, and it will be given to you. Everybody says it will be with me. One, two, three. It will be. Jesus is a liar? No, I don't think so. Give and it will be given to you. Meaning this, if you give in the right spirit and the heart, and I'm going to talk about it here in a minute, if you give and you sow in, if it doesn't come back to you, and we'll talk about how it's going to come back to you, if it doesn't come back to you, then Jesus is a liar. I'm banking all of my chips on the fact Jesus cannot lie. And so 
I'm trusting that whatever I sow is gonna come back in a powerful way. He says, give and it will be given to you. And this is how it's gonna come back to you. It's gonna come back in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together with no more room to contain anything else in that bucket you're holding. And it's actually going to be running over how much I'm gonna give back to you. And it's gonna be poured into your lap. It's gonna be poured into your bosom. For with whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And the phrase poured into your lap really jumped out at me. And I thought, I wonder why he used that phrase, poured back into your bosom. And so I did a word search on it. And every single time it's used in the Old Testament, do you know how that word is, that phrase is used? Well, I'll tell you, since I have the mic. Every time in the Old Testament, over and over again, it's used in the context of judgment for God's enemies. Lord, your enemy has crushed us. Pour back into their laps seven times what they've done to us, Psalm says. Or the sins of past generation will be poured back into the laps of the children, it says. And in another place, it talks about enemies. Pour back in fullness or in completion, back into their laps, the harm that they've done to us. Now, Jesus flips that around in the New Testament. He says, I'm still using the sevenfold, the completeness phrase, but I'm using it in the positive. It's not in the negative anymore. When you give, now a sevenfold, full, complete blessing is coming back your way. That's crazy to me to think about that. I give $100, $700 comes back, okay? How many hundreds can I give? How can I scale this up as fast as I can, said any wise investor out there, right? It's not always dollar for dollar, but I'm telling you, if Jesus says it's coming back in a complete full way, you better believe it's coming back in power, okay? So give and it will be given to you, poured into your lap in fullness. Why? Does God need our pittance? Uh, Does he need our money really? Absolutely not. He does not need that. And here's a few reasons I believe the Lord's saying he wants us to give. Number one, because he wants us to live under the original Genesis 1 blessing. Because see, to be fruitful and to multiply, you have to sow, don't you? You have to sow seed in order to reap the multiplication. If I don't sow anything, there's no fruitful multiplication. So he's like, I want you to come back with me to the garden and live in that blessed place. It's, it's, it's your seed planting directly affects your harvesting. Your generosity directly affects the generosity back to you. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Number two, did you know that you have a heavenly bank account? I'm sure you did. Philippians 4 says this. Paul's like, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. He's actually talking about money when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's like, I'm not saying this to you, Philippians, to sow into the ministry because I want to get rich. I'm saying this because I want it credited to your account. And that means you've got a treasure account in heaven that will never fade. Thieves will never break in and steal. Moth and rust will not destroy. You've got a heavenly bank account as a child of God. Did you know that? It's accruing interest even right now. And it will never grow, go away. It, it will be there forever. In fact, we'll look here in a minute. It's gonna be yours forever. <clears throat> Number three, why does God want us to give? 
Well, because I believe it's the best investment strategy in the universe. And God's the best investor ever. God's the one that saw the field. He's the man that went and sold all he had and he bought that field because he saw the treasure in it. God's a good investor. Did you know that? We're made in his image. So this is 100% guaranteed, no gimmicks, no risk investment plan. And the financial advisor is Jesus Christ himself. And here's one way we can give. And this really gripped my heart. Proverbs 19.17. Dina, can you put that up there for us? Look at this. Okay, Proverbs 19.17. Let's go there together. That's probably my fault, Dean. I didn't give it to you. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous, whoever lends to the poor, lends to the Lord. And he will repay them for what they have done. Whoever is generous to the poor is actually being generous to the Lord. How many times has the Lord reneged on a debt, do you think? Declared bankruptcy? And so if it's a sure bet that he's going to give back when you give to the poor, and we know when he gives back, it's not one for one. He gives it back, pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. Then it's kind of dumb not to give to the poor. Because not only, listen to me, When I give to the poor, I'm actually blessed, right? Because it's more blessed to give than receive. I'm receiving blessing when I give to the poor. What's happening to the poor man or woman receiving it for me? Are they blessed? And who do they ultimately thank, everybody? They're like, thank you, God, for remembering me through this humble brother or sister in front of me. I've got blessing, actually the greater blessing. They've got blessing. Who gets thanks? God. Where does that money go in my account, everybody? Cha-ching into my eternal bank account. And the Lord's like, it's there forever. Well, in the course of a few days or a few weeks or maybe an hour later, that $100 I just sowed into them comes back to me in this life in maybe the form of $700, I don't know. So I can go out and do it again in a more massive, generous way. Guys, it's kind of stupid not to do this. Really, like for our own benefit, it's silly not to take advantage of the best investment plan in the universe. Why would we not do this all the time? The Lord's like, yeah, like I've been saying. So I was looking uh, a couple years ago at an investment for Lizzie and I that I was just so excited about. I was like, sweetie, if we just sow it, we could do like $1,000 a month here, $500 a month, whatever it is. And this is like, unless the markets go down or whatever, we could buy this much of this and it's gonna bring like a three to five fold return. And I'm kind of excited about it. And she's like, okay, well, let's pray about it. So I pray about it. And I'm like, we're we're gonna sow this much money a month into this particular investment. Three to five times is pretty good. So over the course of time, $100,000, you know, three to 500 in the next 10, 20 years, if the markets hang in there and all that, I think it's pretty good. It's pretty, you know, I'm gonna, I've got I've to bank that money away. It's a, this, this particular thing is, had guaranteed protection for that money. So I'm really kind of studying this and working it out in my mind about what we're gonna do. And then as I'm praying it, you know what the Lord says to me? As I'm praying about this, he says, test me. 
And you know, I went right back to Malachi chapter three, the only place in scripture where the Lord encourages us to test him in this. Remember that passage? He says, test me in this, says the Lord. I want you to bring the whole tithe to my storehouse. Trust me, put it in my hands. Put the money in my hands, he says, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you don't have room to contain it. Press down, shaken together, running over. And not only am I gonna do that, I'm gonna prevent devouring crops and I'm gonna prevent the vines from dropping fruit before they're ripe. And so I heard the Lord specifically say to me, test me in this. So I went back to Lizzie, I'm like, hey, you wanna hear a crazy idea? I wonder, and guys, please, this is not me talking about, I'm, I'm trying to be an example. I'm trying to, this, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So I'm trying to walk this out while at the same time giving you a real life personal example. So I said, we're gonna take that money that we're gonna invest in the stock market, in some cool investment deals, and we're gonna pay some people's rent at the apartment building. We're just gonna sow into some poor people. What do you think about that? So we pray about that, and we start sowing and sowing. And then we're like, what if we did a building banquet, and we invited the poor of the building to come down, and we just ridiculously blessed them? What if we just started doing that? Like, I'm not talking about like, here's like a little gift card. I'm talking about like massive, like stupid blessing. Like they're like, who does this? And so then we can say, God gave, so we give. That's why we're doing this, God gave. And people are like, you're losing your minds. Why would you do this? Now, some people in here have given way more than we've ever given, but I'm telling you, this shifted our hearts. This shifted our affections. And so what I did was I gave some poor, we actually gave some money to a lady who ended up forging the check that I gave her and took more out. That It was crazy. It was wild. I mean, like we inviting these people. Anyway, so we give to these poor people and got literally almost zero thank yous for it. But you know what? I actually didn't give it to the poor people. I gave it to the Lord. And, and you know what he did? He's repaid us like I can't even tell you how much he's repaid us. Like, we just did a company dinner last night. We had 100 people there, and we're talking about the increase that the Lord's brought in each one of our companies. It's crazy this year. Now, the reason I did that was not to go get, oh, I'm a miser, I wanna get all this blessing back. That would be like, that would, you know, when it says don't give out of compulsion or out of reluctance, but the Lord loves a cheerful giver, it's like, I'm gonna get married to Lizzie and, and the night we get married, I'm like, give me babies. Give me babies. I want babies. Come on, give me babies. I want fruitfulness for my marriage. And she's like, whoa, can we just talk for a few minutes or something? Can you tell me how the, what, did you thought the wedding went? And so we're like, all right, Lord, I'm gonna sew in this money here. Now give it back to me, Lord, give it back. Give me the results from that giving. He's like, no, you don't understand. I wanna be intimate with you in this. I wanna do this with you. I wanna enjoy the giving with you and the fruit will all come naturally. You just relax about that. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we're like, okay, I'm gonna give, but how much am I gonna give back? And the Lord's like, no, you've missed the point. I want you to experience the joy and the blessedness of giving with me. Luke 16. Luke 16, if you would. I'm gonna finish up with this and a little story here. Worldly wealth 
the Lord says. He makes it clear. The worldly wealth that we've all been given, maybe you're stewarding thousands of dollars, maybe you're stewarding tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, maybe you're stewarding a million or two or five or 10 million in here. Whatever you've got, it's all monopoly money. It's all fake. It's not real. And, and, this, and this passage spells that out. I tell you, verse nine, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into their eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will be, on, will be dishonest with much. So if you've been not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's gonna give you property of your own? So you take your monopoly money and you're buying and selling and you're trading it and you're buying friends with this in the world. You're actually, you're opening the door in their hearts. This happened just the other night to Lizzie and I. Just a radical gift into a stranger's heart opens them up and they're like, why would you do this? And it's a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with them. We gave because Christ was given on this holiday season. And, and, and you're gaining a friend, actually. You give somebody your money, you put your money where your mouth is. They'll welcome you into eternal dwellings. Number two, if you're trusted with little, you'll be trusted with much. Number three, if you haven't been trustworthy with fake money, who's gonna entrust you with real money, the real stuff? Think of it as an allowance or like practice, right? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you money of your own, property of your own? See, it's not even ours in the first place. The house, the acreage, the land, the estate you have, the retirement, it's not yours. It's gonna be gone like that. It's the Lord's. He's like, here, steward this for me for a little while. Let's see how you do with that. Okay, I'm gonna put it in your hands, Lord. I'm gonna give it to you. And he's like, oh, you just wait and see how much I pour back in your lap. So no story I feel like in the Old Testament gives us a clear example of these principles than in 2 Kings chapter four. So if you would go there, I'm gonna finish up with this story. 2 Kings, Old Testament. This jumped off the page to me a couple years back. Like I said, I've been waiting on sharing this. So excited about it though. 2 Kings chapter four, you have a Shunammite woman who it says in verse one, pay, pay attention with me. If you, if you have a Bible close, please look at that. I'd love for you to see how these things go. Or look up on the screen there. You have this Shunammite woman in uh, verse eight of chapter four. One day Elisha went to Shunam and a well-to-do or a rich woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. He's an itinerant missionary. And she said to her husband, look, I know this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. So let us make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. And then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So Elijah comes back. He stays there with his servant Gehazi. And he's like, man, this woman has gone to all this trouble in verse 13. Go ask her, what can we do for her? She's made us this room. Granted, the gift was small, but it's, she's made us this room. What can we do? And she replied at the end of 13, I have a home among my own people. He even asked to speak to the king on her behalf. I'll go speak to the king if you want me to. She's like, no, no, I'm good. I've got a home among my own people. 
What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband's old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord. She objected. Please, man of God, do not mislead your servant. But then she became pregnant. Well, the child grew up. And then one day out in the field, he says, my head, my head in verse 19. And he falls down. She goes back and she holds him in her lap until noon. And he dies. This child given to her by the hand of God through the prophet Elijah dies. She tells her husband, I got to go see the man of God right away. And he's like, why go today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. She says, that's all right. She says in verse 24, press the donkey on. Let's get there as fast as we can. And then she gets to Elisha in verse 27. When she reaches him, she says, he says, she's in bitter distress. Leave her alone. In verse 28, she says, did I not ask you for a son, my Lord? I, did I not tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha then tells his servant Gehazi, you go back and see if you can raise the boy to life. Gehazi, the servant, can't do it. So Elisha goes with the woman. He walks in the room in verse 33. He shuts the door on him and the little boy. He gets on the bed. He lays on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. He stretches himself out on him. The boy's body starts to grow warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. He got on the bed and stretched himself out again. The boy sneezes seven times and opens his eyes. He presents the boy to his mother. Powerful story. Well, it doesn't end here. There's other powerful things that Elisha does after this. He heals Naaman of leprosy. He's feeding some prophets. He's, he's making an ax head float. He's trapping blinded Arminians. And well, then the story with this lady picks up in chapter eight, verse one. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, the Shunammite woman, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. Pay attention to the sevens in the story, sneezing seven times. Seven years, there's a famine. So after he raises this woman's boy to life, he says, look, a famine's coming for seven years. Get out of Dodge. Get out of your land, your nice house and your land, and go find a place for you and your family. So the woman proceeded to do as the man of God had said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. Well, at the end of the seven years, she came back to the land of Israel. <clears throat> and she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king of Israel saying, give me my house back and give me my land back. Because she had forfeited the rights after seven years it belonged to someone else or the king's army had taken it over. Well, the king at that moment was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha. And the king had said, tell me about all the things, all the great things Elisha has done. Well, just as Gehazi was telling the king all these things, and specifically how Elisha had restored the dead to life, in comes the woman, the rich woman, whose son Elisha had brought back to life. She came to appeal the king for her house and land, and Gehazi says... Hey, just like I was saying, this is the one I was just telling you about. Can you believe this, king? She's walking in right now. Well, there she stands with this woman and her son. He says, this is the one. And the king asked the woman about it, and she told him the whole story. Now, remember, in chapter 4, Elisha said, I'll go talk to the king on your behalf. But now look what's happening. She's talking to the king on her own behalf. And then the king assigned an official to her case and he said to him, give this woman back everything that belonged to her, her house and her land, including 
all of the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. Seven years of back income that she got. So walk with me through this story real quick. I'll finish up here. What did the woman get? She got seven things here. Her gift was small. It says in verse 10 of chapter four, she gave a small room, a little gift to the man of God. What did she get back? Well, number one, she got a son. Number two, she got a son raised to life from Elisha. Number three, she got advice to avoid famine. What did she get? What are the three things she got from the king of Israel? Well, she got her home back. She got all of her land back. And then she got all of the seven years that the locusts had eaten away. She got that all dumped in her lap at one time. Seven years of back income. And the seventh thing, what did she receive from the king of kings? Well, this woman got freedom to hope. Because up to this point, she's like, no, don't even tell me I'm gonna get a son. It's too good to be true. My whole life has been filled with heartache. Don't do that. He's like, no, God's good to you. Then the son dies. She's like, see, this always happens to me. He's like, no, God's good to you. And then she falls at this prophet's feet and she worships. She's got boldness to come back into the king and ask now. Seven things this woman gets back because she sowed in a little seed. So our God is joy-filled. Yes, he's happy. God's in a good mood. And so he's inviting us in this season into this joy of giving. He's inviting us to pour out what he's poured into us. He loves a cheerful giver. So, Malachi 3 says, I dare you to test me in this. And so I wanna extend a dare to you guys between now and the end of the year. I wanna dare you to pray and ask the Lord for an opportunity, specifically, if you would, for someone who's poor. For someone you know who's poor. Now, maybe that's someone who has a job but they're still poor and they're trying to make ends meet right now. Lord, would you show me an individual or or circumstance and situation where I could sow into? I I don't wanna let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. I wanna do it in secret, but Lord, I wanna radically give. And then I wanna challenge you according to how the Lord's blessed you to sow a seed into that person who needs it and watch what happens. Watch what happens. I wanna invite you guys into God's dare and see. I don't know if it's gonna be in the next week or the next month or the next quarter or next year, but I wanna dare you to be radically generous between now and the end of the year and carry that on through this year. This is the best investment strategy ever. The Lord will not renege on his word or on his promises. He will give back. Yeah, love it. So good. Let's stand up and let's pray together, guys. Lord, I pray that you would make us cheerful givers. I pray, Father, that we could excel in this grace of giving. I pray, Lord, everything from your heart here, I pray, let it just remain. Let it stick, Lord. I'm praying that we could, there would be doors open, Lord, like we've never seen because of this radical generosity, God. I pray that you would make all grace abound to these people here. Uh, You supply and increase their money, Lord, to invest into the poor in the earth. And I pray that you would do that for them, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray for wisdom to invest, Lord, for each one in here. We thank you for the precious gift you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in this season. Open our ears to hear it, Lord. Make us a generous people like you, God.
It's in the name of Jesus we ask all this. Amen. 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 Bless you guys.